Hello and welcome to Integrate, the podcast of the Wheaton Center for Faith and Innovation. Um, our goal is to have conversations around the intersection of faith and business. I am Dr. Hannah Stoll's Executive Director of the Wheaton Center for Faith and Innovation, and I'm here with F.T. Chong, who is my co-host and parent of a senior at Wheaton College. He also runs private capital for Pine Bridge Investments. We are so glad to be here this week with Bonnie Jo Wurzbacher. Bonnie Jo has served as a senior executive in the C-suite of two major global organizations. Most of her career was spent in business with Coca-Cola Company, where she served in various senior management and marketing leadership um, positions, rising to senior vice president, global customer leadership. She was responsible for $1.5 billion portfolio of global customers and collaborative partnerships with their bottling partners worldwide. She also created the and led the company's first global customer council and served on the first global woman's leadership council. From 2013 to 2017, Bonnie served as chief development officer for World Vision based in their global executive offices in London, England. Bonnie has served on many boards over the years, including corporate boards of Sea Beyond Inc and Gordon Food Service as well as several nonprofit national and local organizations that relate to her life purpose. Bonnie holds a BA in education from Wheaton College and an MBA in general management from Emory University. She and her husband, Steve, recently moved from Atlanta to Pinehurst, North Carolina, and spent summers near their son's family in Rhode Island. They're members of the Village Church, a 100-year-old non-denominational church in the heart of Pinehurst. Bonnie Joe, we are so excited to have you with us today. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you, Hannah. It's nice to be here. Yeah, Bonnie Joe. I think uh, one thing you are also multi-generational. We, what do they call people from Wheaton? Wheaties. Wheaties. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, so um, I was. I am. Uh, my parents met there. Uh, two sets of aunts and uncles met there. My dad's oldest brother. My mom's younger sister. Um, my sister went there and um, eight cousins. Wow. So, um, we have a, a long history there. Wow. Uh, coming from, so I came from, a, I was not a Christian until uh, I was well into my business career, but you, you were a Christian, a believer first, uh, and then went into the business world. And there's this sense, just even talking to people at Wheaton is, uh, is there any conflict? Should anyone feel any conflict between sense of mission and being in the business world? I think you, you you may not be the first person of faith to be very active in the business world, but you're one of the first to talk about faith and work. Yeah, they absolutely should not feel any conflict. In fact, they should be drawn to business. Um, one of my very favorite quotes that I um, have you know, quoted really this one for years, probably 25 years, comes from Nancy Piercy, hmm. um, who's written several books. She's in a, uh, teaches at um, Houston Baptist University, big apologist. Anyway, this is her quote. What a tragedy it would be if all Christians were pastors, missionaries, or worked only for Christian organizations. We're called to serve God in every sphere of work, not home in the church or in the church, but in the classroom, the courtroom, the operating room, and yes, the boardroom. And that is so very true uh, when we think about it, uh, particularly for those of us that 
that believe we should be sharing our faith. I mean, then for sure being drawn to um, any and every sphere of work, if you have a complete Christian worldview is hugely important. And by the way, most people work in business. A large percentage of jobs are business related. Yeah, yeah. and actually uh, I met a very mature uh, Christian man um, who was working as the chief financial officer of a cigarette company. And uh, one day I said, and this was when I was just a, a, a new Christian, and I said, how do you, how do you balance the two, right? You're working as a CFO of a cigarette company. And he said, I, I'm the best person to be the CFO for a cigarette company because I see all sides of the equation. I want to do good. Uh, I want to make money. And uh, uh, there's really no better person than a mature Christian to be the CFO of a uh, uh, cigarette company. And that really got me thinking about, okay, yeah, we have a role to play here, not just to go and judge the morality of businesses, but to actively participate and to, to build, you know, we create wealth and we can do good while doing it. So uh, yeah. that really woke me up to this whole faith and work thing. Yeah, I think I think thinking about that intersection and and Bonnie Joe, you've worked across you know, like Coca Cola and then World Vision as well. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your journey, your faith journey, and how that impacted your career in business? You know, how has being a Christian shifted the way that you view um, your job and the work that you do? You know, Coca Cola is kind of kind of a very different space to a cigarette company, but um, you know, there's parallels that we kind of question sometimes when we go into business as Christians. Um, so what, what's been your journey? What's your journey been? Yeah. Well, when I grew up, I really never thought about going into business, even though in retrospect, I had a lot of natural gifts and abilities that helped me in business. Uh, my father was a minister. My grandparents were missionaries. My, um, I did have one grandfather in business, but, but most of the people that I knew and looked up to, and especially the women did not work and um, when I went to Wheaton, I actually majored in education. I taught um, school and public um, schools in the Chicago area for five years until I recognized that um, I was drawn to business. Uh, I now say I was called to business. Um, and I, that was sort of an intersection of recognizing my interests, my skills and abilities and enjoyment and doing it. And also God's leading. Um, I think where God leads us, where he opens doors and closes doors is a really important part of our calling too, uh, 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 throughout our lives. It's, I don't think it's always necessarily the same career or the same field uh, for our whole life. Mm -hmm. But uh, I went into business, left education and went into business in uh, five years after Wheaton in 1982 and had a 30-year career there with um, the Coca-Cola company with various different jobs with them. And um, when I left them in 2012, I figured I would probably do one more thing. I was kind of at that, that point in my career where um, I could choose. I, I had the retirement packages from Coke that I needed to be more financially independent. We did. I mean, I, I use that word rather than retirement. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to work for World Vision International for five years, um, most of those years, 
four of those years in England where their global executive offices are using very much all of my business skills that I had developed at Coke and then some. Um, and frankly, a lot of the skills I learned in teaching, I brought with me into business. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of my journey. Yeah. Um, in terms of, you asked how my faith mm -hmm. um, impacted that journey. So I'll continue on. With mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So um, I didn't, I don't know. I mean, my faith impacted my work always because I've been a Christian since I was a young girl. And I tried to work with excellence as, as working to God and unto God and not unto men or women. Mm -hmm. I've always done that. Asked for his help, prayed about work, um, you know, tried to make it known that I was a Christian so that if there were opportunities to share my faith, I could, that sort of thing. But um, it, it honestly my the deepening of my understanding of faith and work and its integration and um, importance didn't really start until I was invited to speak in Wheaton's and in ch at chapel in Wheaton in 1996 by Dr. Litfin, who was president then. And I decided I knew a whole year ahead of time and I decided that I was going to speak on business in God's kingdom and about how we serve God in business, because I felt, I decided that if anyone had ever really spoken to me about that in, a, in an impactful and personal way, I probably would have gone straight into business and, mm -hmm. and gotten the whole, in it or not, understood a lot more about integrating my faith. So back in 96, there weren't really a whole lot of books yet written um, on the topic, which there are many, many more of now. But my, besides talking to, you know, reading the Bible and talking to uh, Christian friends of mine in business and um, my pastor and all of that, I found two books that really impacted me. One was um, Michael Novak's Business as a Calling, mm -hmm. which was written in 1996. And the CEO at the Coca-Cola company, Roberto Gazueta, was walking around. He was a big time Catholic, walking around the company with it under his arm. And that's how I discovered the book. <laughs> what, what is this book? And um, the other one was Nancy Piercy's Total Truth, mm. which I think is where that quote was from. And um, anyway, uh, so I spoke in chapel and in the process of putting that talk together, I also developed a theology that completely changed the way I approached my work at Coke. And I would also say I completed, I very much deepened my Christian worldview to be a complete worldview, mm -hmm. starting with not only how we were created and why, but what we're here for. That It's not just about knowing how to die. It's about knowing how to live. And that includes. Yeah. So those were the big things that impacted my, um, my the big faith related things that impacted my work. Yeah, that's that's such an important point too. that that realization that we're not saved from this world, you know, just to die and go to heaven, that we're saved for this world. Yeah. And so when you think, you know, for our student listeners and they're getting ready to go into, you know, probably work for companies when they graduate, regardless of their major. Um, when you think about, you know, your worldview and bringing faith like, you know, to this world and that it's for this world, what are the kinds of practical things you've seen over the years that you can bring to business? 
that are you maybe are unique or maybe it could be augmented. Maybe it's not unique to Christians, but we have even more of that calling than maybe our, our secular colleagues or other colleagues would have comparatively. Do you think there are specific things that are different about us? Well, I do. Um, first of all, the first thing is to really understand what a Christian worldview is. And uh, secular people will not have that. They will have a worldview. They just won't be a Christian worldview. So without going into great detail, you know, that we were created in God's image to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth and to be co-creators with God. Mm -hmm. We're created in his image to work, not just to steward the earth, not just to take care of the garden, to turn the garden and all of the resources that, that God created in the process to develop them into cultures and civilizations and cities and families and jobs and the building blocks of culture. And so that, that recognition is super important. And I think I did understand that mostly mm -hmm. before I went into business. What I didn't understand was that, um, well, I did understand that Christ died for us. I mean, that Christ died for us, that, um, that what went wrong with the world was sin and mm -hmm. our being tempted by Satan and being sinful destroyed not just our relationship with God, but with each other and with our work and with creation. And I understood that we were redeemed by the sending of Christ and his dying and, and uh, resurrection and conquering death. But I didn't understand that he is now at work restoring the world and renewing the world. And he asked us to join him in that, which brings us kind of 360 to why we were created to work with him, to use our gifts and abilities and the resources in this world to help people flourish. Yeah. And, um, you know, as Christians, we have to understand how our work helps people flourish. And if we can't, then we need to find work that allows us to. I call that bringing meaning to our work rather than getting meaning from our work. Mm -hmm. I think our secular, just to you know, use a broad term, friends, not only don't have a Christian worldview, they are trying to get meaning from their work. You know, that yeah. it's somehow out there somewhere extrinsically, um, but it's not. Um, so, so that made a big difference to me. Yeah, actually, uh, it's. Uh, I'm glad you said the word flourish. It's. It. It is part of uh, what we would say shalom, right? Peace and flourishing. Yeah. Uh, flourishing in, in uh, through through peace and and uh, having a worldview that uh, accommodates morality, hard work, being creative, and all of that. So it is. When Jesus said, "My peace I leave with you," it is actually shalom uh, and the type of peace that accommodates flourishing. So yes. you are exactly doing what uh, Jesus said to do, mm -hmm. uh, bringing shalom to the world, which is salam, also you know, in the more mm -hmm. uh, um, Arabic word context. Well, and I know you haven't asked yet, and I. I still have a couple other things to say on this first question, but I know you haven't asked yet about innovation. Mm -hmm. It goes hand in hand with being created in God's image to be co-creators with him. Yeah. It, we're, we're created to be creative, yeah. just like God is. And so, you know, innovation is a huge part of who we are. 
and uh, and of our work. So that's yeah. that's for the next question. <laughs> and <laughs> actually, and actually, in the business world, you find uh, the the opportunity to be creative that is you know uh, it's also fun that there's the funds to support the creativity as well right so yeah if you look at even the development of vaccines in the past couple of years or many other things it's just in business world there is so much creative energy that's being released to make it happen mm -hmm. that's true that really is true and um i mean it's it's, um, you know, I mentioned in my summary that when I was asked to speak at Wheaton, I came up with a theology of business. Mm -hmm. That theology that actually surprised me was that the purpose of business in God's kingdom is twofold. First, it is to advance the economic well-being of communities throughout the world. And secondly, as the only source of wealth creation it enables every other institution to exist. Yeah. Churches, schools, hospitals, every 501c3, government, everything. And, and so that's why I think business is so, in creativity and innovation is so important to business because it's about, at least in a democratic capitalist society like we live, it is about new wealth creation and new ideas and bringing them to life and creating new wealth, not just redistributing old wealth, yeah. which is sort of what the world did until democratic capitalism was created by the United States in 1776 um, and and dramatically changed the the um, poverty map in the world, not only in our country, but in the world. Yeah, not not yeah. only necessarily in democratic countries, but it does create, it does alleviate poverty. Maybe not spiritual poverty, but at least economic poverty. Mm -hmm. Yes, the reason I brought up democratic capitalism because that was that had not been invented before, and that was the driver of free enterprise, which really got the engine going. And when that happened, there were no other democracies in the world. Now there, mm -hmm. though, not all of them have. Uh, economic freedom, but a lot of them have political freedom. Yeah. Have you written the book yet? Not yet. <laughs> you should expand on it. One other thing that um, in your I, theology of that book, <laughs> <laughs> theology of business is uh, business fosters uh, connection between cultures that would otherwise uh, be politically or socially separate or even hostile to each other. Um, sure. that, because of business, I think you said somewhere you went to Saudi Arabia or, you know, I've also been spent time in the Middle East uh, meeting with dealing with people that I, I otherwise would have nothing to do with that. I would I never had a chance to never would have had a chance to have dinner and talk about religion or beliefs. Right. Yeah, well, business, Saudi Arabia is one of the few countries I haven't been to. But, um, but business very definitely requires, I mean, as a foundational value, not only creativity, but also community building and teamwork and relationships. And um, it's, you know, people working together for a common cause and common purpose. It's not that business is the only one that does that, but business is very reliant on that. And... Uh, 
I, I think, you know, Bonnie, Joe, in your background, you know, you worked at Coca-Cola and then you worked at World Vision. And I think at World Vision, we can imagine, like we're predisposed to think nonprofits are going to do more good things. But I would really like to ask about your time at Coca-Cola, especially as senior vice president of global and customer leadership. And, you know, when you talk about your theology of business, that advancing economic well-being and the creation of wealth, um, can you think of ways that this came through um, at Coca-Cola that it kind of inspired your work at World Vision? But do you, I mean, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot, like, can you think of stories or examples of what that looked like at Coca-Cola? Because I think that is always a little bit more maybe of a stretch yeah. of our imagination. Okay, well, let, let me start with Coke. So this is the big things I learned about the Coca-Cola system when I started looking at it through new eyes um, and a heart. So the Coca-Cola system, which is made up of the company and its bottlers, which are like franchisees all around the country, sell hundreds, um, 500 really, plus different kinds of refreshing, affordable beverages, mostly ready to drink across soft drinks, teas, juices, coffees, sports drinks, in all, every category. Um, many people don't realize, and I didn't until I worked there for a while, that fully 80% of their business, 8-0, is international, outside of the mm -hmm. United States. Further, they don't realize that they don't make it here and then ship it over there and bring all the profits back here. They make it there. Their bottlers are local business people. And 90 plus, probably 98% of the the um, economic impact of um, those beverages stay right in those countries. They're made locally um, and delivered locally. Um, they create, the company and its bottlers create about a million jobs around the world directly. But for every one they create directly, they create another 10 indirectly through the farmers and the distributors and the small retailers and the, everyone in the supply chain that is impacted mm -hmm. um, by it. They pay um, billions of dollars in um, taxes to government. A lot of people forget that only employed citizens and businesses pay taxes. Nonprofits mm -hmm. pay taxes. Um, Non-working citizens don't pay taxes. So that's just think about that and all the money that that's what runs government. Um, and all the education and all the welfare programs and all Medicare, you name it. I mean, that, so that's a big, um, a big impact that they have. Um, they invest billions of dollars in business partners and supplies. They, um, provide, re uh, they spend billions of dollars on jobs, salaries and benefits for the people that they employ. They spend billions of dollars on shareholder value. Um, with returns that are provided to the investors that give them their money to invest and to in dividends, and also in philanthropy, not only directly from the company, but through and inspiring and matching employee giving. So that that's sort of the, some direct, I mean, if you don't make a profit as a business, you will fail. You will not be sustainable. That's actually what sustainability means. In business, um, but it is not sufficient for success. Not anywhere near sufficient. So, um, and there is a huge multiplier factor from one business to another. That, so for example, you know, you have to have products and services that you make that people value and want and will pay for. If you mm -hmm. don't have that, you don't have a business. Um, you create jobs and economic growth and hope. 
You deliver returns to shareholders, like I mentioned. You promote creativity and ingenuity and team building and community building. And basically, every business creates value way beyond the value of the business itself. So when I saw that, one of the things I did with, with my um, career is I, I was always on the customer side and the sales side, not in, not consumers, but businesses. Like I ran the McDonald's account for them in North America. And the last seven years I was there, I was senior VP of global, global customers. They're big, large business customers. And um, it was challenging and I really enjoyed it. But I also kind of shifted my... Um, the jobs I went after and where I wanted to kind of move my career there were, were international because I felt like you could more easily see the impact of that around the world internationally. Like you can find Coca-Cola everywhere. And it's because of these local, uh, the local bottlers and these local distributors that are so creative. I mean, you've probably seen if you, um, pictures and or heard of all the incredibly creative ways that Coca-Cola is distributed to very remote areas from the larger cities of those countries. Um, but I enjoyed that, and I and I liked the interaction. I I was always drawn to sales and the the fun of it, and the people orientation of it, and the problem solving of it, and the revenue generation of it. Mm -hmm. So I kept. I, I stayed in that area primarily, um, but it became, I say, I just saw the bigger picture of business and of Coca-Cola and the impact it could have, not just my, including how what I did in, impacted it, but not just my own little world, but being part of a much bigger organization and, and every business, no matter how big they are. Every single business has this multiplier effect. Yeah. Not only of the the value they they're creating for all of their stakeholders, um, not including the product and service, but not just that. Yeah. Um, and also the the um, the indirect multiplier factor in the community. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I mean, our country is still made up primarily of small businesses many of whom are still family run and many of whom are run by women, by the way. Yeah. Um, so um, it's a, it's a great, I, I don't know if it's still 80%, but the, the numbers used to be that 80% of all people worked in business and probably more than that are impacted by it. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I, I came to appreciate it to, to realize that that our work is the main way we're engaged with God in the world and not just to share our faith. I mean, my experience was that I, I didn't have a very direct opportunity to share my faith very often at work. Mm -hmm. Sometimes through relationships that I built at work, but not usually in work, usually outside of work. It was more the, the kinds of ways that I integrated my faith and work were more like choosing work that was based on my God-given talents and abilities rather than chasing after money, power, or prestige. Mm. It was 
doing my work with excellence, like I already mentioned, as unto God and not uh, not for the praise of others. I mean, that can sometimes come, but if you find that that's what you're working for, you need to stop and question it. It was serving my customers and clients and coworkers well, and remembering that even the difficult ones are made in God's image, and that I had to learn, and, and this took me a while to learn, that relationships are just as important as results sometimes. Mm-hmm. That, it, you know, in the longer term, they are. You, or let's just say you have to do both. Yeah. Can't just you can start out all about results, but if you're if you're going to be promoted and grow and get more responsibility, it is not going to be just about that because it's a very community building, people oriented um, job. Um, I I learned um, that the things, the blessings that I got from work, um, financial resources and skills and opportunities to travel and um, uh, platforms to speak mm-hmm. that I was accountable to be a good steward of that and to be a blessing to others by being generous with them. Yep. Those were sort of the kinds of things. And, um, you know, I, I found that business was a, a very good place to do those kinds of things you know world vision was too Mm -hmm. but it was different and it was easier in some ways and harder in other ways yeah yeah even now as you recount your your life experiences and your thinking um you you are an encouragement to the young people at wheaton elsewhere who listen to this because i think people do struggle a little bit about oh should i go into ministry or should i do whatever Mm -hmm. Like uh, Lydia in Acts, who sold purple cloth, you can be a great person in business and be uh, not do anything spectacular in the business world in terms of being the best uh, preacher of the gospel while at business, but doing your work well, being dedicated, being reliable, being a good colleague. Uh, that that that's that's a role that's right now is very encouraging uh, for young people who are going out into the work world, graduating and, hey, there's this whole 80%. I don't know if it's 80% because government seems to be getting bigger and bigger. (laughs) Government is probably 80% now, but that's that. 70% where you can really spend your time work as an adventure, as an adventure, apply your creativity uh, and all of the struggles in, at work also is a kind of the uh, kind of the gymnasium to develop your spiritual health and all of that yeah. spiritual. So, well, um, I think part of that FT is that um, it's a it's a really narrow, limited worldview to only think of being a Christian is about how you share. Your- yeah. Or think of ministry as only paid professionals who are paid to share their faith. And, and preach and that kind of thing. That is not biblical. Mm-hmm. You could go way beyond Lydia to just about almost everyone in the Bible that had a, a regular normal job, other mm-hmm. disciples for the, you know, the years that they followed Christ, but certainly before they were and afterwards. But, you know, everyone is doing different things. And, and that's why, you know, Christian worldview that first just 
as a general calling, we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and our neighbor as ourself. Mm -hmm. And actually say anything about sharing our faith in that part, right? Yeah. Although if you love your neighbor as yourself, you would want them to. Sure, sure. It's much more than that is the point. It's, it, it is just, that is just a small piece of, of what we're called to do. And then to recognize that we're called to, to advance the world and, and to help it to flourish and give people abundant life and that we are to join Christ in his renewal and restoration of the world. That does not limit you to churches at all. In fact, I sometimes say, you know, would was God happier with me when I was working at World Vision, which was much more comfortable for me. We could pray sure, together sure. and I could be, you know, my faith could be a bigger part of my conversations and what I did, but I, everyone that I worked with was really Christian. So mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's all that yeah. important there. <laughs> You yeah. you mentioned two books. Um, were there what other things as a, a young or in any business person? What else should they have besides two books to to inspire them? But did you have uh, did you have accountability to people outside of work? Uh, people who guided you, mentors. Uh, how how what what should a person have besides? Definitely. The reason I said two books. It wasn't just two books. It was sure, right. pastor and Christian business leaders and the tons of things. Uh, my own experiences, the Bible, the Bible's full of lessons about, <laughs> about how, yes. I mean, the whole Jewish nation was built on yes. their faith with their work and their lives. So there's lots of it. I was just saying that the, the faith and work quote unquote movement as we know it today, which, which honestly it's been around a long, 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 long time. Um, uh, there weren't a, nearly as many books written about it then or now. Those were the only two that I really, that really jumped out at me when I was looking for, for books to read on it. And now I have a bookcase full of them, you know, and I'm sure I missed some. I'm, I'm sure there were other. <laughs> Hannah wrote a book. You should read it. <laughs> yeah. FT is a great promoter. Um, a lot of them. Uh, but those are still two of my very favorite books. They had a very big on me and still do one of my other favorite ones uh has become tim keller and uh catherine alsdorf's every good endeavor i highly highly recommend that yeah. catherine was on uh on we interviewed her yeah. so, yeah. so um it'd be great let's talk a little bit about innovation and you talked about you know god as a creator and us called a partner with with christ and his work um you know, as co-creators and, you know, when you, when you think about the ways that faith can inspire innovation, can you think of like examples or stories, whether it's World Vision or Coca-Cola or any other experiences you've had on boards or whatever, um, where you've seen faith and innovation and intersect? Yeah, um, I certainly saw it at World Vision. Now mm -hmm. uh, that isn't, it's a nonprofit Christian charitable organization. It's not a business, but it's full of business people. Yeah, uh, many, not all, for sure, but it inspired a lot of innovation because, I mean, mostly business and not just business, but people that are working to to both benefit themselves and benefit others are drawn to it. And so, 
you know, who you are benefiting and the creative energy and abilities and um, intellectual capital that drives creativity in the world happens all over the place. You know, it, at World Vision, it was things like both new ways of serving the communities that they were working to help address their their um, the root causes of their poverty from the way they provided clean water to the way they helped, uh, you know, created a microfinance company to help them get businesses started themselves and be able to improve their own income to, I mean, that there was a lot of innovation in that work. And there was constantly innovation at, in Coca-Cola's work with new, <coughs> new ways to market or new, um, uh, new ways of people working together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think that, you know, you, you poo-pooed a little bit my democratic capitalistic um, comment, but that is not to be underestimated. The, you know, the probably the more common term is free enterprise. Mm -hmm. And that tapped in, that, that is basically a combination of economic freedom and political freedom. And very few countries in the world have both. And they are both required, as, as Michael Novak would say, one system of national liberty. They feed off of each other. Um, the, he would say that the po political freedom is the most important first, not most important, but has to come first. Because unless you can protect the rights of your citizens through the rule of law and um, um, the, the political freedoms involved in that, you can't have economic freedom, but they're both required. It's one system and what's required for them to work together as an, as a um, free enterprise system that helps people to use their talents and abilities to grow economically. What's required for both of them to work is a moral culture, hmm. a moral culture where people know right from wrong and respect it and the rule of law protecting rights and to have all three political freedom and economic freedom based on a moral culture is very rare in the world and has become very much at risk in our own country as a mm -hmm. and um it's um you know that that combination is what spurred the development of our country as the most diverse country by far in the world um, by attracting immigrants from all over the world who were basically fleeing socialist countries and communist mm -hmm. countries or had no ability to um, advance the well-being of their families um, because the pie didn't grow. If you're just, you might have businesses in a, in a country, but if, if it's not growing, you have to redistribute wealth and people get greedy and hold on to what they can. And free enterprises changes all that because it's about economic and political freedom and creativity and growth where the, you, you don't have to make rich, rich people poorer to make poor people richer. 
and that's exactly what it did not only in our country but around the world but it is it's still an experiment that is barely over 200 years old yeah and it we could easily lose it if we don't yeah. understand I, it. by the way I, I didn't put words i do fully agree with you that uh, yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> the combination of uh Political economic freedom fosters creativity and risk taking, and but then it has to be modulated by a moral, some moral, it does the morality. So it takes all three to make it work because it, you could be wildly risk taking and creative, but without a sense of morality, you could also cause a lot of you know environmental damage or whatever it is. Right. And what I like to say is, I don't. What I often say is, I don't worry that much about ethics in business. First of all, it's not so much the entities themselves, you know, the, the sectors or industries themselves. It's that they're all filled with simple people. And business doesn't have a corner on that. They just might because there's probably more businesses than any other sector. But business has a lot of checks and balances that other that nonprofits with nonprofits which is a huge category don't have they have shareholders they have quarterly financial reports they have payrolls to meet they have um, usually code of conduct that are very much enforced um, certainly there can be individuals that ignore them and are deceitful but they're generally caught. Um, it, there's a lot of self-correcting mechanisms in a business um, because of all the reporting and the public nature of it and the SEC and the, and if yeah. you are, stop being profitable or stop making high quality products, competition will, be, will eat your lunch and you will not exist anymore. So it's just a matter of time. Not yeah. don't have that. Mm -hmm. You could have um, yeah, the yeah. entire budget of a nonprofit spent in the wrong way and not know it until it was too late. Yeah. So, so this fixation, I call it the anti-business skepticism of many people, particularly academics and <laughs> academics with other people that have not ever been in business. They have this skepticism that, oh, okay, wait a minute, if you're making money, what's going on there? Um, but um, that's, it's really not the case. Ethical challenges are everywhere. And I found that one of the things I learned at World Vision that I am so grateful for, and the reason why I think um, nonprofits can be much more difficult to be successful in than businesses, is business has one value chain. They're, you make a product or service that somebody wants enough people want to to uh create it and deliver it in a way that adds value if you do that well and better than all the other companies in a country like ours that are doing something similar you have found your revenue stream they're called customers and they are buying your product or service and that fuels your profits that allow you to invest and grow and pay your employees and all the other things and you have one value chain that is not true in most nonprofits, I would say every nonprofit, some are sort of a little bit in the middle. Um, you have a product or service you're trying to deliver, World Vision, for example, of um, uh, you know clean water and vaccinations and 
and microfinance and things to help poor communities around the world address the root causes of their poverty. And they could do that extremely well, better than all the other nonprofits that do similar work globally or locally. And even if they did that incredibly well and could measure it incredibly well, which is another hard thing in nonprofits, um, they would not have found their revenue stream because almost no profit nonprofit sells their products or services completely. <laughs> you would argue, well, a, a school gets some percentage of their income by the tuition it charges, but not all, as you know, and most don't get any of it. They're providing a service there. So they have to find another value chain called donors or investors or don't really usually donors that care about the cause and decide to give to them versus the hundreds of other choices they have to give to, to get a revenue stream that then has to be the right kind of revenue stream to do that work well on a sustainable basis. I was responsible for the revenue stream part of World Vision International's working with the 20 countries that raised $3 billion a year that was then spent on, on the work in 80 other countries. Well, that's hard. It's, it's way easier to go figure out how much money you can make and then go say, okay, now go do this, you know, or please give it to us with no restrictions whatsoever so we can do whatever we want to. <laughs> that doesn't happen. So it's hard. You have two value. You have the revenue stream separate from the product or service. And um, that's not true in business. And that's partly why the ethical piece of it is trickier on the nonprofit side because it can so easily intentionally or unintentionally be mis abused and business can be but it has to be pretty secretive and pretty you know yeah. pretty undercover for a while because if it were obvious it would never advance yeah there's much more transparency in companies especially public companies yeah and uh, not for profit you sometimes have to struggle to figure out how are they spending the money. You do, and in fact, there's rarely a really clear measure of that. You know, what is measured by the accountability groups? Overhead, hmm. which is ridiculous because many, many, many nonprofits, the people are their service. That's true for World Vision. So you're saying the fewer people you pay, the better you're doing? Well. <laughs> I mean, it's better than nothing, but it's a not at even close to a, a good metric to measure how well an nonprofit is performing. I think um, so. We're just about at the end of our time, so before we close out, we um, FT and I always love to think about what can we do tomorrow based on what we heard today. So um, I'll, I'll kind of kick us off if all of us want to think about for our listeners, what is what is one thing we can practically take away from this and think about? How do I apply this when I go? To work at my poor nonprofit organization um, that God's called me to. And Bonnie Joe, the, the thing that stood out to me the most, and I, I really loved how you said this, um, positioning, not looking for meaning in work, but how do we draw meaning out of it? Like what meaning do we bring to the work that we're doing? I think that's how you said it. So I'm even gonna think about that tomorrow. Like what meaning do I bring when I go into the classroom? Not what meaning does it give me? And so thank you for that. I think that's a really good takeaway, even for students, that's your occupation, right? So how do you bring meaning to your job and your vocation as a student tomorrow? Yes, that's definitely one of the things. Another thing I'd say is to 
start thinking about how your faith impacts your work. You know, I, I often think, you know, for example, the role of prayer. Mm -hmm. Do you pray for your work? Not just for the people you work with and not just for their salvation, but actually the, the people you're, you need to work with to get your job done and the impact of the actual work itself. You know, Dorothy, Dorothy Sayer used to say, you serve the work, like mm -hmm. doing the work well. How well are you doing it? And what value does it bring to whom? Yeah. And to start thinking about your work that way and um, thinking about the various ways that um, you can do your work with excellence, that you can make an impact on the people you work with, the way you start your day and end your day, praying about your work and um, asking God to join you in it and ask, looking for um, what, what it would take to restore to restore your work. I mean, every work has tons of flawed things about it. That's that's part of the nature of the fall. So where are you in your job that you could make a difference in fixing, improving, making it so that it, it that it could be more honoring and glorifying to God and to others that show yeah. shows, you know, what are some ways you could do that in your job and in your company? Um you know, and and think, praying about it in the morning and thinking about where you saw God's hand at, at, in the evening. I found the prayer of examine to be really helpful where you kind of, at the end of the day, you, you, uh, you know, wait to feel the Holy Spirit as you are meditating on your day and you think through the different things you did in the day and where you saw God's hand and what he might have been teaching you and where you responded well and where you totally missed it. And then you pray from that. And then you think about tomorrow and all the, the meetings and the activities. And by the way, you can do this with your life, not just with your work that yeah. you want, that you are asking God to help you with. And if you get in a routine like that, um, thinking about the day ahead, thinking about the day past and the next day and, and how God's using you or where he didn't or what he's trying to teach you, you know, I, that will make a big difference. And, and I think not only do, do we, are we expected to bring meaning to our work to um, help to transform it and to restore it, but I, I've also learned that God uses our work to change and transform us. Yeah, for sure. Not only do we see our gifts and strengths, we see our weaknesses. Mm -hmm. and, and that daily examine thing kind of helps you see both. And you realize, wow, I've realized that. What, who would I have been if I hadn't had the career that I did and all the good and the struggles and the strengths and the weaknesses that I learned about myself? I don't know. I wouldn't have been the same person. So really practical sorts of ways, you know, the business besides creative and community building is very practical. And mm -hmm. I love that about it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, for me, it's uh, Luke 15. I've been working on this the past few days, which is um, <clears throat> Jesus does his work with the tax collectors and other people. And then in, I brought down Luke, uh, Luke 15 too. The Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus yeah. is doing his work in the world, not with his buddies. Uh, as oh, a, leave it to temple people. Yeah, as a matter of fact, he not only did not come to the scribes and Pharisees, he he really turned them upside down. 
Yeah. And called them, you know, uh, not at all God followers, you know. So he wasn't hanging out at the chapel, but with the people. He wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bonnie Joe, thank you so much for sharing with us this morning or today um, your journey and about your, your insights, your theology of business is really inspiring. Um, we'd love to close and just pray and ask God to just bless this conversation for our listeners. Um, Bonnie, would you be okay closing us in a quick prayer? Sure. Okay. Thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, this gift of technology that lets us um, share so far beyond just our personal interactions. We thank you that you are a God of work that you are a working God, that you've created us to join you in it, that you use it to um, transform us in the likeness of your image and the likeness of your son, and that one day we will rule the world with you using those gifts and abilities that we've built here. But we pray that you would, uh, just with everyone listening into this, that you would help them to feel your presence as they work, to feel your joy, to fill them with um, with meaning and an understanding of how they can use their work to bring glory to you and to love others and to love themselves. Um, and we, um, I ask your blessing on, um, on Hannah and on FT and thank you for their leadership in this regard. And um, we pray that you would Uh, just bless their work in innovation and integration beyond um, all their hopes and in a way that honors you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. You too. Thank you.